This podcast is brought to you by the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. Well, we're three weeks into the Biden administration with lots of activity already in the works, but still the bulk of the heavy lifting still to come, and it gives us a chance to review what we've seen so far. Pleasure to have joining us the founder of Fairline Capital, philanthropist, and also former uh, Democratic candidate uh, for the presidency, Tom Steyer. Tom, great to have you back with us. Hope you're well. Dan, I'm doing really well. It sounds like you're doing well, too. I'm keeping busy here, Tom. 11 months, almost 12 months doing this show from my house. So I'm lucky to have this. You know, before we get into the Biden, uh, the Biden administration, and obviously your kind of realm, uh, having been in the hedge fund game, I wanted to quickly get your take on, on what we've seen with all of this Robin Hood stuff. Look, I thought what was going on there was an outbreak of the kind of populism that we've seen in so many different parts of American society. I think that there is a deep-seated anger across the country about elites controlling the economy, elites controlling the government, and running it for themselves. And so what we really saw was people attacking the status quo that they perceive as rigged, that they perceive as self-serving. And, you know, we all know that the way that Wall Street works and has worked for a really long time works for Wall Street in and of itself. And then it was being attacked in a way that honestly is reminiscent of so many other populist attacks across our country using the Internet as a way of organizing. I mean, this is exactly what we've seen in politics. um, And it reflects I think a deep-seated anger in Americans, including from these people online who feel as if there's high-speed trading that front-runs everybody on the New York Stock Exchange and no one does anything. They wanted to get together and push back against that system. And when they did, the system was like, this is incredible. They're attacking the status quo. That's exactly what they were doing. Uh, expectation that maybe this type of activity will continue in the future, especially with the component of, of, uh, of Reddit and social media that kind of played in here? Look, they came together into an attack where they perceived there was weakness. We all know that, Dan. These were exposed short sellers that they had the information and where they felt they could get together and have the upper hand. But I think you were just talking about another part of the market that has, uh, you know, the ability for these kinds of attacks, which is, you know, these cryptocurrencies. Yeah. So I think what we're seeing is an ability of individuals to get together online and push back against the systems that have been control, you know, for forever. But people have been doing this around the world and in the United States all the time in different spheres. It just came to Wall Street. Right. Well, okay. so let's dig into what we asked you to come on the show for. Uh, (laughs) You obviously uh, ran against Joe Biden. Uh, so give us your thoughts on the first couple of weeks. Obviously, we knew there was going to be a lot of work that had to be done. But but what's your reaction to the first couple of weeks? Look, I think everybody in the United States who has an open mind knows that the Biden administration has been doing a terrific job. I mean, I think you have to start with the, the incredible improvement with how they're dealing with the virus. You know, all of a sudden, the federal government has a plan. All of a sudden, the rollout of the vaccine has gone into, you know, actual organized and much faster mode. So I think you have to start with the fact that they are showing that government can work. Look, I, they ran on climate. You know, I've been a climate activist for well over a decade. You know, the question 
under the Trump administration was, are we ever going to do anything to, re- to, to react to the climate crisis? Right. I think the Biden administration has made it clear to everybody in the country and the world, we're going to do it. They've done a series of executive actions. But more than that, Dan, they've set the framework for the private sector to, you know, sort of go after it, to make irrevocable change in the way our country runs and is organized. And look, it's a flood of private sector actions that you're reading about in the paper. And I'm sure you're talking to business people who are talking about it. I know that my conversations with business people subsequent to the election about climate is at a completely different order of magnitude than it's ever been. Yeah. You know, well, I, I, people who have said to me for years, I would go and talk on Wall Street and say, you know, you've got to do this, you've got to do this, you've got to do this, clean up your portfolio, invest in the future, blah, blah, right. blah. And they would look at me like I had two heads. Now they're like, we've always been in that. Good. That's so exactly the, where we should be. How do we solve the problem? So the importance here, Tom, is the fact that, you know, you've, you've heard a lot of conversation in years past about a lot of these issues, and there hasn't been enough follow-through. And so I guess the biggest question is going to be whether there's the will to have the follow-through right now. Well, let's put it in, in business terms, Dan, if you don't mind. I mean, we're talking about to really rebuild the world in a clean fashion is going to take 2 to $3 trillion a year right. for 30 years. What we're seeing, and you can see it in the GM announcement, you can see it in the Ford announcement, you have seen it in J.P. Morgan, you know, you've seen it across the board, is huge American institutional companies talking about what they're going to do to address this issue and make money from it. But what you're not, so you're seeing that, but what you're not seeing as much, but what I'm seeing, and I bet you're seeing too, Dan, is people in the financial business going like, yeah. wow, two to three trillion dollars a year. I got to get me some of that. Yeah, right. There are people who absolutely who are not climate activists, but who are saying, okay, this right. is happening. It's irrevocable. It has to happen. Now, how do I participate in that? That's irrevocable. That's change. That's the country. accepting a new framework from the Biden administration about how together we attack this crisis. All right. So we know COVID has got to be one a on the, on the Biden agenda. And, and I think that, you know, probably one B is climate. What's your one C because there are a lot of those, those issues that are out there. Obviously president Biden's talked about $15 an hour minimum wage. She's kind of backed off on it a little bit, but pay equity that's, you know, obviously in the mix right there, there's lots of other issues out there. What's that one C for you? Look, I think there's no way to come through the last four years to come through this campaign and not talk about equality, income, equality, racial equality. You know, there is a huge sense of injustice across this country. I mean, you started by asking me about these, uh, you know, sort of stock market uprisings. Yeah. Look, people are deeply angry and upset. And I think Joe Biden has shown very, very early in the campaign, but also in his in his uh, administration, that he cares about normal Americans, that that's what he cares about, that that's where his heart is. That's where his leadership is going to go. And there's no way to think about how we come together as a country again, Dan, without addressing directly the deep injustice that has been a part of this country. And so I think, you know, we're talking about someone who ran on it, 
someone who's intent on keeping his promises and being accountable to the American people. Right. I think it's a huge change in leadership from Donald Trump to Joe Biden, a huge change in what they care about. And really, he ran on, I'm going to serve every American, Republicans, Democrats, independents across the country. And I think it's absolutely critical that he do what he said he was going to do, but that also what he is doing, which is to act with compassion and caring and concern to pull this country together and serve everybody. And certainly we're at a time right now with when you go by the monthly uh, unemployment numbers, we still have, you know, upwards of 10 million people that are that, that don't have a job that did uh, a year ago. Uh, so you, you have to address that. And a lot of people believe that part of the way to address it is through a major push on infrastructure and, and infrastructure could take a variety of different elements. And one of the things I'm firmly in belief of is that any kind of infrastructure needs to address the internet as we move forward. Look, I absolutely agree with you, Dan. I, I think that part of what he ran on a big part, something that absolutely resonated in particular with young people was that he was going to do the so-called build back better plan, which was rebuild America in a green way, create millions of good paying jobs all over the country, a lot of union jobs in there, specifically use that plan to focus it on underserved black and brown communities. But, you know, part of that, if you go and look at that plan, it involves upgrading our internet backbone as well, because it's absolutely critical across the country. And let me say, when we talk, when you talk about rebuild, you know, improving the internet, we have a huge issue in this country that is, not, that is talked about but not nearly enough, and that's education for kids oh, yeah. in the pandemic. What we've seen is if kids don't get to go to school, then they have to do it online. They don't physically get to go to school. And if they aren't hooked up online, if their parents aren't Internet savvy, then how do they really go to school? Yeah. It's an absolute emergency. Yeah. Joe Biden called it out. But, you know, when I was working, leading the task force in California on jobs, recovery, on economic recovery, it was absolutely obvious to me and critical that we step up and not let kids lose a year. You know, this is yeah. the American dream. Every kid gets a chance. You can't take that chance away. You're absolutely right. Everybody needs to have access to high speed Internet for education, for yeah. job access, but also for health. So they can go to the doctor online, like most Americans now do. Especially in lower income neighborhoods, because, you know, going back to the school thing for a second, I saw it firsthand, you know, last spring. My kids were were at home doing their schoolwork and they only saw their teacher uh, one hour a week. You know, you can't have really good education when you're only talking to your teacher one hour a week. It's just not possible. And that's in a middle-class neighborhood, let alone what you might have, you know, with some of the address, uh, issues you addressed in lower-income neighborhoods. It's, you know, it's access. It's rural neighborhoods, too. Yeah. But it's also, you know, think about a second grader going to school online if his or her parents can't help him or her and be internet savvy and make it available. I mean, how yeah. is that possibly going to work? Yeah. It's absolute this is what government's for. It really is to step in to deliver opportunity to kids. This is our absolute moral obligation to our country, to our kids and to the future of America. It then puts I think Tom more pressure on the people on Capitol Hill to figure things out and and find some sort of middle ground to be able to get a lot of this stuff done. Look, I think there's no doubt 
that the the Biden administration is leading here. But it's also true that you can't the, the Build Back Better plan is two trillion dollars. Joe Biden can't write a check for $2 trillion. The only person who can write a check for $2 trillion is the U.S. Congress and the U.S. Senate combined. Yeah. The president gets to sign the legislation. And it's, you know, you know it. Everybody in America knows our infrastructure is way overdue for a rehaul. Yeah. We yeah. all know it. Yeah. It is time. It is past due time. And look, the point about climate is this, and it's the same point about it, the, the Internet. It's not a question of whether we do it. The only question we have now is how best do we do this? Not yeah. whether. We have to get to yes. We're not negotiating yes or no. We're negotiating yes or yes in a different way. That's the only question left. And it's honestly, the private sector is going to have to be critical in all of this, yeah. in all of this. And I think government has to hold them accountable. They have to set the rules. But this has to happen, and we've got to stop talking about whether and just get to how. So I, let me play off of that question because I, and I agree that the private sector is going to have to play a role in this, but I think the question is whether or not either government or the public in general have the trust to figure that, that the private sector is going to be doing this in the best interest of the country and of the public, because I think that's, I think that's a valid concern out there. Absolutely. Look, I worked for over three decades, for over 30 years in the private sector. People running companies are paid to run their companies and make money for their shareholders. Sure, yeah. That's not illegal. That's what they actually think they're paid to do. Yep. And they think that their integrity involves living up to that obligation. Also, their pay. Right. We shouldn't expect them to be the, the, the conscience of America. We should expect them to do their job fairly legally and with integrity. It's up to government to set the framework. But honestly, that's what the Biden administration is doing. Yeah. You know, if you look at where they're doing, they're saying these are the rules of the game. Go out and act on those rules. And we're seeing, honestly, Dan, it's impressive. GM was suing California in December yeah. of 2020 that's to right. lower the miles per gallon rules. That's and right. in January, they announced they're going 100 percent electric. Yeah. I mean, that's a change. That's a government change. You know, we're seeing all of these companies really come to the realization that they don't have a choice. You know, they don't want to be in the buggy whip business. Yeah. They want to be in the future business. As an investor, who really wants to invest in returning America to the 1950s? Who thinks that's a way to make money? It's dumb. It's really dumb. The only way to invest is look at the future and see what you expect to happen, how you participate in it, how you create something valuable for people going forward, not pretending that we're back in the 1950s watching Leave it to Beaver. Right. So then let me ask you this. And, and obviously, as you said, you're somebody that uh, really is behind uh, addressing the issues of climate change. Uh, but when you think of, uh, of the energy component for this country moving forward, obviously the Biden administration really you know, wants to look at clean energy alternatives. You do as well. But there is going to be that component of some of the traditional energy elements like oil that will still be part of our, of our culture moving forward. Look, there's no way that we move off of fossil fuels overnight. We all know that. I think it's important to know that we have to go to a zero uh, emissions future. But I, and I think the key here is that we do it right. We know that mo this move will create millions of jobs net. Millions and millions of jobs all over this country. Right. That, in fact, climate is a jobs answer. Right. 
that, you know, there's no way you asked me what my third, you know, what my C point was. And I said, it's equality, but really you can't address these things separately. There's no way to look at rebuilding the infrastructure of this country without seeing that it's a huge job creator across the country and also see that if we don't do it in a way that reflects our climate crisis, that we're, you know, missing a huge point. And so, you know, when I, when I look at where this country needs to go, it's all wrapped up, all of these issues, including racial equity as well as income equality are all wrapped up in the answers that the government has to come up with and then let the private sector go out. And the other thing, Dan, look, you know this as a business person. There is a climate crisis. Mm -hmm. The world has to respond, not just the United States of America, the world has to respond to it. And the world is. If we don't respond to it, do, do do I think there are going to be electric vehicles built? Heck yes. They're going to be built in Shanghai and Frankfurt. Right, right, and American workers right. are going to be behind the eight ball. Right. And that means that private sector is not going to create millions of jobs that it could create. You know, this is a global, this is a global competition, and it's a huge opportunity for Americans to lead because we're the innovators, we're the entrepreneurs. The, honestly, the Trump administration did not understand that business is about climate going forward. That if we don't respond to it, we're cutting our own throats. In fact, American workers, American prosperity are all bound up in the need. What is business? It's solving the needs of human beings. If we decide, no, we're not going to solve the needs of human beings, we're going to try and you know, pretend something else is going on, that does not work in the real world, and American business knows it. And I'm just really grateful that we've seen this flood of acceptance. It's like, okay, here we go together. That's really what this is about, is let's rebuild this country together. Of course, economically, but I think also in terms of unity and emotion and kind of patriotism, this is a chance for us really to come together and do something together. Well, and and I think, Tom, and I'll leave leave this with this final point for you, is is the fact that, look, I, I think a lot of people saw what occurred on January 6th, whether you be Democratic or Republican, uh, and I would say more Democrats than Republicans, but I think a lot of Republicans as well, uh, they were concerned. They were very much concerned about what the country <laughs> is and where it is going. And when you when think about... Bob attacks the Congress of the United States and well, attempts to kill the vice president and the Speaker of the House, that, that could be considered a bad thing to do? Well, yeah. And, 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 and when, you, when you see that, you also have to look at it from a business perspective of what this country needs to do to succeed moving forward. Look, I think there's a real question here, and I believe we're at a huge turning point, an inflection point for America. I think that the, what happened on January 6th illustrated the problems of where we were. And I think that what we're going to see is Americans are going to look at that, as you said, on a nonpartisan fashion and say, that is not who we are. Right. We actually have values. We actually have immutable beliefs that supersede our partisanship. That in fact, we, it, we have things we believe in and will accomplish together. And I think that's where we are, is us reaffirming our deepest beliefs in democracy and you know, private enterprise and freedom and the, but also the rights of people not to be attacked, the rights of people to be respected. Yeah. I think we're at a great point, it, it, really, whereas as Americans, we're coming out of a very dark period, 
But I, I think that the Biden administration is handling this perfectly. But I think we've hit bottom and January 6th was bottom. And I think we all realize we can never go there again. We have to do something much, much better than that. And it involves really the deepest values that we hold as Americans. Tom, as always, great to catch up with you. Uh, we will stay in touch and get you back on here in a few weeks. Thank you, sir. All the best. Dan, it's great talking to you, too. Thanks. Tom Steyer, uh, founder of uh, Fairline Capital, former Democratic candidate for uh, president and also uh, philanthropist. To keep engaged with Wharton Business Daily and other Wharton School shows, visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.